Greetings, film pals. I bid you welcome to The Cinematic Crypt, a movie podcast hosted by Movie John's Old Sport and classic coroner, Rosalie Kicks, me. Each episode, I travel six feet under and pry open a coffin of one of my favorite Hollywood corpses and perform a post-watch examination of one of their forgotten films. Lend me your ears and listen along as I summon the spirits of Hollywood's dearly departed and uncover your next favorite film from the grave. Before we descend into the crypt, I will begin with reading my obituary, a notice of what I have been up to since we last spent time together. I am very happy to report that my vampire transformation continues, as I have ordered a custom-made velvet black dress from an artist on Etsy based in England. This purchase was made in preparation for a virtual Halloween party that I am hosting. It may be July, but fellow crypt dwellers, it is never too early to begin plotting and scheming your monster mash, as October will be here before we know it. With our current circumstances, This year creates some unique challenges to hosting a ghoulish gathering. However, with the use of alien technology, I have found ways to entertain from the comfort of my crypt. I am still in the process of brainstorming on what the night's festivities shall include. There are a few things that are most definite, such as a curated selection of films chosen by your favorite little gravedigger. Costumes shall be encouraged, and possibly even a contest of sorts. A themed food and drink menu shall be provided to my guests ahead of time, and they will be encouraged to give them a try. Lastly, the piece I am so incredibly excited for is that I will be attempting my own vampire-style hosted intros prior to showing the Halloween flicks. With the help of my partner in crime, we will be constructing a mock laboratory in the basement to serve as a backdrop. I am thrilled to attempt this and will, of course, share the videos on the Cinematic Crypt page found over at moviejohn.com under MJ Podcasts. Goblins and ghouls, what are you planning for Halloween? Feel free to drop me a line and tell me about it at cinematiccrypt.com at gmail.com. I will be sure to continue to share my party plans with you as they develop. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight for my monster from his slab began to rise and suddenly, to my surprise, he did the mash. He did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. He did the mash. It caught on in a flash. He did the mash. He did the monster mash from my laboratory in the castle. Other than Halloween plans, I have been busy working on the next print issue of Movie John, which is set to be sent out by the end of this month. This issue features artwork and writings of circus, carnival, and state fair flicks. Your favorite little gravedigger has a few articles about some pictures that may be of interest to you, my fellow crypt dwellers. Films such as Carnival of Souls, 
Nightmare Alley, and the Joan Crawford flick, Berserk. This issue is now available for pre-order at moviejohn.com shop. And now our feature presentation. All right, film pals, time to grab your cape and get comfortable with a cocktail. It is time for our regularly scheduled spooky program. Follow me, but watch your step as you descend down to the cinematic crypt. Today I shall be prying open the coffin of one of my favorite Hollywood actors that was truly taken too soon, Robert Walker. Born October 13th, 1918, which just so happens to be the same birth date as your favorite little gravedigger. Mr. Walker is famously remembered for his role in the 1951 Alfred Hitchcock film, Strangers on a Train, in which he plays the neurotic, yet somewhat charming, Bruno Antony, who becomes obsessed with a tennis star and later attempts to convince him that they can get away with murder. Now, let's say that, that you'd like to get rid of your wife. It's a morbid thought. No, 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 no. Just suppose. Let's say that you had a very good reason. Now, let's, let's, no, no, let's, let's say that you'd be afraid to kill her. You know why? You'd get caught. And what would trip you up? The motive. Ah, now, here's my idea. I'm afraid I haven't got time to listen, Bruce. Listen, it's so simple, too. Two fellows meet accidentally, like you and me. No connection between them at all. Never saw each other before. Each one has somebody that he'd like to get rid of. So, they swap murders. Swap murders? <laughs> each fellow does the other fellow's murder. Then there's nothing to connect them. Each one has murdered a total stranger. Like, you do my murder. Why do yours? We're coming into my station. For example, your wife, my father, crisscross. What? Oh, we do talk the same language, don't we? Well, sure, Bruno, we talk the same language. Thanks for the lunch. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I thought the lamb chops were a little overdone myself. Nice meeting you. Now, you think my theory's okay, guy? You like it? Sure, Bruno, sure. They're all okay. His performance as Bruno Antony is one of my favorites in film, and I could easily talk about the movie at length. However, fellow crypt dwellers, on this program, I try to uncover flicks that may not be as well known, so I won't be dissecting the famed Hitchcock flick. As I mentioned, Robert Walker departed the land of the living far too soon, dying on August 28th, 1951, at the age of 32. He had an adverse reaction to prescription drugs. In my research, I did not find much about his life, but the information I did find was rather heartbreaking. By the time he was 30, he was twice divorced and he suffered from alcoholism and mental illness, which were only made worse after his painful separation and then divorce from actor Jennifer Jones. On the night he passed away, Walker's housekeeper had found him in a rather fragile state. She reached out to his psychiatrist, who visited Walker and provided him with sedation. 
It is believed that Robert had been drinking prior to the visit, and the combination of the pills and alcohol caused him to go into a coma and stop breathing. In his 32 years on Earth, Robert managed to rack up 23 film credits. Until recently, I only had seen him in Strangers on a Train, so I took a look at his filmography and, of course, couldn't resist the 1948 fantasy musical film One Touch of Venus, directed by William A. Sider and Gregory LaCava, who would later go uncredited. The film was actually meant to be produced in 1945 in Technicolor, starring those from the Broadway musical cast that it was based on. It experienced several setbacks, though, and by the time it was filmed in 1948, the picture ended up being in black and white, with no one from the original Broadway cast involved. Instead, Robert Walker, our corpse of interest, co-stars with Ava Gardner. Robert plays a lovable dweeb, Eddie Hatch, a department store window dresser. For those not familiar with window dressers, they are responsible for building and creating displays for stores. Back in the day, this was a prominent position within a department store, as they were responsible for designing artful arrangements with the use of mannequins and props. I recently watched an excellent Thelma Todd and Patsy Kelly 1934 short, in which they worked at a department store and were live window demonstrators. Essentially, they exhibited products to customers that watched outside the store. Wild. This short is part of a collection that the duo, Todd and Kelly, made under Hal Roach Studios. I highly recommend picking it up from Classic Flicks. It is a fun watch. So let's get back to Eddie. His boss, the wealthy department store owner, Whitfield Savory, played by Tom Conway, purchases a statue of Venus, the goddess of love, for $200,000 that he hopes to display at his store. In the midst of his unveiling party, he realizes the curtains hiding the statue are not rising properly, so he calls on Eddie to help the problematic drapes. Hello, Miss Grant. Mr. Savory sent for me. It must be pretty important. Yes, he wants you to fix the drapes in front of the statue. It jams when you pull the cord. You fix, huh? Is that all? Well, that's all for now, Eddie. Hurry it up, will you? Uh, yes, Miss Grant. Poor Eddie. He believed he was being sent for by the boss for an important meeting regarding a promotion. Instead, he finds himself talking to a statue. On a whim, Eddie decides to kiss the statue just as there is a sudden crash of lightning. Ta-da! She is alive. Alive in the form of the beautiful and glamorous Ava Gardner. MGM had loaned Ava Gardner to Universal Studios to make this picture. To achieve a lifelike resemblance for the statue, Universal sent Ava Gardner to pose for the sculptor. The first rendition was entirely nude, which was, of course, sent back to the sculptor after Universal saw it. 
requesting a more modest approach, so a robe-like dressing was added. Upon the release of the film, Universal sent film critics a small souvenir replica of the statue. Too bad their statues didn't talk. Here's another little tidbit for you goblins and ghouls. It is said Robert Walker became quite infatuated with Ava, much like his character, Eddie Hatch, falls for Venus. According to robertwalkertribute.com, their mutual disdain for MGM formed the initial basis for Walker and Ava's friendship. Their propensity for alcohol led to frequent dates, and eventually to what Ava considered a casual affair. Although charmed by his wit and sensitivity, Ava was more interested in Bob's availability as a willing drinking companion. During the filming, Robert had taken to living in his dressing room, as he had loaned out his home to his parents while they were vacationing in California. Unfortunately for Robert, he was not aware of Ava's continued affair with actor Howard Duff, and on set, he discovered Duff with Ava in her dressing room, which later resulted in a violent argument between Robert and Ava, causing him to go mad, and he struck her across the face. This incident created a rift in their relationship, and even after Robert attempted to apologize, Ava wanted none of it. It was after this picture that Robert's mental health was rapidly declining, and he would later be known to say that after finishing the film is when he felt he went completely off the rocker, which I suppose one could say is what his character Eddie Hatch experiences after the statue comes to life. Oh, I'm all right. I'm all right. It's a little overworked maybe, but I'm all right. You're moving. Was it you who kissed me? You're talking. You're alive. Well, of course I'm alive. What did you think I was? Well, I'm not very bright. I thought you were a statue. <laughs> Excuse it. Brandy, smelling salts, spirits of ammonia. Poor mortal, are you frightened? Frightened? <sighs> I don't know the meaning of the word. Why, you darling, you are frightened. Well just from the toes up. I love how outlandish this tale is. It is so strange and unusual. A statue coming to life and running off with a department store clerk. Venus leaves the store with Eddie, and he ends up being accused of theft. For when Mr. Savory raises the curtain, to his surprise, the statue is gone. Eddie is perplexed on what to do with his newfound friend. He can't possibly take her with him on his spaghetti date with Gloria, his supposed girlfriend. I say supposed, as it seems Gloria is much more into the relationship than Eddie. However, Eddie doesn't want to create a stir, so he hides Venus in the department store and informs her that he will come back for her later. When he does arrive at Tony's restaurant, Gloria and his fellow co-worker, Joe, are prepared to celebrate his grand news as he was called up to the fifth floor, which could only mean he would be climbing the ladder to success. Unfortunately, they instead find a rather shaken up Eddie. Hey, Eddie. Oh. What happened? We thought you'd gotten lost or something. How was the unveiling? Oh, it was awful. 
statue disappeared. I mean, Mr. Savory thinks it disappeared. Oh, but you didn't have anything to do with it, did you? Who, me? <laughs> what's wrong, Eddie? What's my name? Come on, tell me, what's my name? Well, Eddie Hatch. Oh, that's right, Eddie Hatch. My name is Eddie Hatch. I work in the display department at Savory's department store. You see, I know my name and I know where I work. I'm sane. I'm as sane as anybody. Well, of course you're sane, Eddie. Naturally, you're sane, isn't he, Gloria? I don't know. What's all this about a statue and what happened to it? I absolutely love seeing Robert in a comedic role such as this. The character of Eddie Hatch and Bruno Antony from Strangers on a Train are literally night and day. And for me, it showcases the tremendous actor that Robert Walker was, giving me a bittersweet feeling that his life really was cut so very short. While at Tony's restaurant, store detectives stop by and apprehend Eddie, as Mr. Savory believes he is the culprit responsible for the missing statue. Eddie is forced to reenact the scene for Mr. Savory, his secretary Molly, played by the talented character actor, Eve Arden. Eddie informs them about the kiss and the magical moment when Venus came to life. They think he is bananas, so they send him home to sleep it off. He remains the one and only suspect. Meanwhile, Venus shows up at Eddie's apartment. Oh no! What are you doing here? You can't come in, please. Why not? Well, because my girl's coming right back. She's very jealous, you know. Oh, she's like a wildcat when she gets angry. She's eight feet tall, and she's got very sharp fingernails. Silly boy, what can she do to me? Well, I don't know, but she can do plenty to me. Please go away. You sound henpecked. Poor boy, I'll bet she runs your life like an assembly line. And how? Why, Eve... Nothing of the sort. She's sweet. She's a very nice girl. Well, I'm a very nice girl. Oh, please, please be reasonable, Miss, Miss Venus. I'm not worth bothering about. I'm not famous. I'm not rich. I'm not even very bright. I'm not bright. In fact, there's insanity in my family, starting with me tonight. I'm crazy. Eddie attempts to hide her from his girlfriend, Gloria, and his co-worker and roommate, Joe, but instead only makes matters worse. Gloria returns to the apartment and finds Venus's gown, causing her to throw something at Eddie, only for it to hit his dresser and bump a portrait of her right into the trash. Movie magic. This scene has some great comedic gags, such as Ava hiding in a soap-filled bubble bath and Eddie interacting with his old-fashioned landlady. Eddie's abode does not allow female companions to spend the night. So logically, the best place to lie your head? Well, the department store, of course. Eddie and Venus head back to the store. Could there be a place more perfect? It has everything you could possibly need. He takes her to the model home, which is equipped with all the latest fandangle technology. Eddie tries to lull Venus to sleep. You know, it's, it's getting late, and you better be getting some sleep. But I'm wide awake. Oh, no, you're not. You, you're, you're sleepy. You're, you're, you're very sleepy. Close your eyes. You want to sleep. 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 Oh, that's 
That's no good. I'm hypnotizing myself. Oh, Eddie, you're so cute. I'm not cute. Why, I'm a beast. I'm terrible when you get to know me. Ask Gloria. No, 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 don't ask Gloria. Something of note, goblins and ghouls. This is one of the first moments in which Venus breaks out into a song. This flick is my type of musical, as there are minimal use of songs, and when they are utilized, I did not feel it took me out of the story at all. Instead, it only added to it. When Venus sings, it seems to have an effect on more than just Eddie. Gloria and Joe hear the song as well, even though they're in a different location, causing them to fall for one another. After Eddie tucks Venus in for the night, he leaves her to rest, and the next morning, she is discovered by Molly, the department store owner's secretary. A fun little thing that I loved about this movie was that Mr. Savory sleeps at his store. Crypt dwellers, I have to share with you one of my dreams. I would love to own a movie theater and also have it serve as my home, a place where I can sleep soundly in my bunk with the backdrop of the silver screen. Picture it, the soirees one could have with a fully stocked concession stand. As for Mr. Savory, upon finding Venus sleeping in his store, it is love at first sight. This guy is a real creeper. Frankly, I can't stand him. He is the type of guy that says the most nauseating things, but believes that everything he does is nothing but suave. A smooth operator, he is not. Molly, that girl, she... She reminds me of someone. Yeah? I wish she reminded me of me. She's the most beautiful creature I've ever seen. Molly, I've always been able to count on you. This time you must not fail me. On your honor, don't wake her. When she does get up, her dreams must come true. Get flowers, clothes, jewelry, everything. Promise me? Venus is treated to all the spoils a department store has to offer clothing, accessories, a visit to the salon. When Eddie comes back to the department store, Venus believes all of this special treatment is his doing. At this point, much mayhem ensues, and the store detectives believe Eddie has to be responsible for the missing statue. Eddie tries to flee, but is caught. Thankfully, Venus gets him out of a jam. Wait, wait, I'll turn him into an owl. But I didn't do this. I don't even understand it. I don't know who, 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 who. What are you doing? Who, who, who? Arrest that man. Who, Come who, on, get who, going. Who, 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 oh, no, no, don't, don't, don't stop who, it. Please who, stop it. Go on. Who, who, don't stand there who, like a dummy. Who, 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 What's the matter with you? I don't know. I just had a funny feeling, boss, like I was going to lay an egg. They make their escape, but only after Venus does a bit more shopping. She needed to find the perfect handbag for their getaway. It is at this moment, though, as Venus's departure is discussed, that Eddie starts to realize that he may not want her to leave after all. Will you be happy? Uh, that is where you're going? Oh, we worry a lot about you mortals. Well, what's it like? Hmm? Uh, have you got big cities like this? Places to go, movies and parks and things? Oh, gee, it's a shame you didn't get to see everything. I could at least have taken you to the park. 
caused you enough trouble already. Trouble? What do you mean, trouble? I, I guess we could go to the park if we wanted to. You don't really want to take me. Of course I do. I know my own mind. Right now, I want to take you to the park. They head to a city park while Mr. Savory schemes away to find Venus back in his slimy arms. I absolutely loved Eddie and Venus at this park scene. It's so sweet. Unfortunately, their canoodling is cut short when he is found out by the store detectives upon retrieving a snack for Venus. I'd like to do things for you. I'd like to take you places. You know, like uh, the men in the ads, men of distinction. You know, like Mr. Savory. He could buy you everything. Everything? Let me see. Could he buy me a bag of popcorn? <laughs> oh, don't be silly. Of course not. What would you want with a bag? Popcorn? Do you mean it? Great big bag. I love Ava Gardner's portrayal of Venus, especially the character being so happy with the most simplest of things, like popcorn. But who doesn't like popcorn? The detectives take Eddie to the police station, which is learned to be all part of Mr. Savory's grand plan, as he predicts Venus shall come calling in order to request his assistance with releasing Eddie from jail. What he does not realize is that Venus has hatched a plan of her own to get her Mr. Hatch back. She visits Mr. Savory, convincing him to call the detective to release Eddie. Of course, Mr. Savory tries to outwit her when he contacts Molly, his secretary, instead, and pretends he's speaking to the head detective Kerrigan. Oh, what a foolish man. Instead of this working in his favor, he ends up just making his fateful secretary angry. Which, for me, this scene showcases Eve Arden at her best. I absolutely love her line delivery. I want you to do something for me, old boy. Oh, why don't you spin your platters? You know, Debussy does something to women. Or better yet, flip out your bank books. You can give her anything money can buy. Now listen here, Kerrigan. I want action on this. Do you understand? I feel you're so wonderful. Thank you, my dear. Hold on there, Kerrigan. What's that? Hatch. Eddie Hatch. Tell him about Hatch. Yes, my dear. I'll have him out in a minute. Now look here, Molly. Uh, Molligan. <laughs> Kerrigan. <laughs> I'll put an ad in the morning paper for a secretary. Help wanted female. Must be able to take shorthand and body blows. Uh, no, no, don't do anything rash. We'll talk it over. Here, let me talk to uh, him. Uh, I'll take care of this, my dear. You've pulled a lot of chintzy deals, but framing a kid to get his girl is too rich for me. Even I'm finally ashamed of you. No, no, don't go. I, I've got to talk to you. You know how I need you. I, I depend on you. You didn't seem to need me before. Well, you did everything but bounce me out of your apartment. I'll do anything. Tell him you'll give him a bonus. I'll give you a bonus. Please, my dear, please, I I'll take care of this. I'll come right over. I'll go with you. No, 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 no. no. You wait here. I'll be back. You wait there. I'll, I'll be over. Save yourself the trip. And tell baby thanks for the advice. I haven't felt so good in years. So long, Whitfield. I walk out in beauty like the night. No, no, no. Venus catches on that Mr. Savory is not speaking to the police and helps him come to his senses to realize his real true love is right in front of him, Molly, the secretary. Before I forget, I have to mention something here. Evening gloves. I need them. 
I wonder why this fashion trend disappeared. I loved Ava's gloves that she donned and feel they really elevate any look. Anyways, Mr. Savory runs off to his love, but only after he calls the police to have Eddie released. For real this time. Venus is left then, awaiting the return of her little Eddie. Before her and Eddie are able to be reunited, she is transformed back into her former marble self as she is called home. Eddie is devastated. The next day, everyone is astonished by the statue's miraculous return. Molly and Mr. Savory are now married, thanks to Venus, and heading to Niagara Falls. Gloria and Joe are engaged, but what about poor Eddie? Later, he visits the statue and has a moment alone with her, only to be interrupted by a new sales girl seeking assistance. And well, crypt dwellers, I am sure you can guess who it is. You never even said goodbye. Pardon me. Could you direct me to the model home? Oh, yes, it's right through there, second floor. Thank you very much. Ah, did you say you were looking for the model home? Yes. You see, I just started to work here today. Oh, that's fine. My name is Hatch, Eddie Hatch. Oh, mine's Jones, Venus Jones. That's beautiful. Well, it's unusual anyway. Nobody's ever likely to meet two girls named Venus. <sighs> no, I, I guess not. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I found this picture to be such a fun, magical little flick. If you are interested in checking it out, you can find it available online at archive.org for free. I will post a link on the Cinematic Crypt page, which can be found at moviejohn.com under MJ Pods. I watched the film on a Blu-ray I purchased from the wild world of the internets. It was released by Olive Films, and although it does not contain any special features, the picture was in great quality, and I highly recommend it. One Touch of Venus would go on to be remade again as a TV movie in 1955, and then in 1968, it became a TV series. I have not watched either of these renditions, and maybe someday I'll get around to checking them out. If you watch them, let me know. If you're interested to continue your journey in Robert Walker's filmography, I'd like to recommend another picture of his that I recently stumbled upon that showcases him as a romantic sweetheart of sorts. The 1945 flick, The Clock, co-starring Judy Garland. This is a lovely picture about a soldier on leave in New York City for 48 hours that has a whirlwind relationship with a complete stranger. As my research often does, it led me to this wonderful tidbit regarding a friendship Robert had with actor Shelley Winters that I had to share with you, my little crypt dwellers. According to robertwalkertribute.com, Shelley was quoted as saying, In my opinion, Bob was a consummate actor. 
and had that same extraordinary quality that Spencer Tracy had. His eyes were truly a mirror of his soul. He never needed words to let you know what he was thinking or feeling. I saw The Clock, the film he did with Judy Garland, at least 10 times. Watching him was a profound lesson in film acting. He had a special sense of humor that would make the audience laugh immediately after his most poignant moments. He never took himself or his problems seriously. It was a very difficult period of his life when he was working on One Touch of Venus. I believe he was avoiding MGM, his home studio, and used to hang around my set sometimes because he was lonely and had nowhere to go. He used to tease me gently about my blonde bombshell image. I casually mentioned once that I liked clowns and stuffed animals, and so whenever he came over to my dressing room, he would bring one. He took me all over Southern California to strange, out-of-the-way places I didn't even know existed. Somewhere in Los Angeles, there is a Japanese garden tea house that you can get to only by climbing a mountain. We also went to what surely must have been the first commune, somewhere down the beach toward Laguna, where lots of kids, married and unmarried, lived in huts. Once we drove up to Big Sur, and he talked about buying a house and raising his children up there. I never raised any objections to these daydreams, because he was so obviously trying to put his life together again. He was a quiet, gentle, lovely young man. Wow, I wish we could have seen more from Robert Walker. I am so happy I stumbled upon these other flicks of his, as it has really made me appreciate his talent so much more and has given me such an interesting new corpse friend. In my next episode, I will pry open the coffin of Vincent Price to dissect and examine the 1959 film The Bat. Join me, crypt dwellers, as we will take yet another trip to the morgue, where we shall be joined by my film pal and fellow classic coroner, Dr. Ashley Jane Carruthers, to autopsy the character corpse, Agnes Moorhead. Hope you tune in. Until then, please make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes and give us a rating and review to help other goblins and ghouls find the show. If it is a kind review, I may even read it on air, like this one from Crypt listener Rebecca Leonard. I love your work. It takes me away from everything else. Why, thank you, Rebecca, for those lovely words. Take note, goblins and ghouls. A raving review may keep you from finding an early grave. Mwah! So log into iTunes to leave your own review, or send us an email. Don't be a stranger. I want to know what you think. Drop your favorite little gravedigger a line at cinematiccrypt at gmail.com. If you have a suggestion for the show or a corpse you want me to dig up, let me know. You can also reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Cinematic Crypt. Don't forget to visit moviejohn.com shop to subscribe to the movie zine that I create quarterly with my film pals. We have began to work on the summer issue, which will feature films that focus on circuses, carnivals, and state fairs. It is sure to be one you don't want to miss. 
so make sure to subscribe at moviejohn, and that's J-A-W-N dot com slash shop. Shout out to my Canadian film pal and fellow classic coroner, Dr. Ashley Jane Carruthers, for providing and creating a lot of the tunes that you hear on this program. Also, thanks to fellow movie genre, the Hollywood hunk, Hugo Marmuji, for the rad Cinematic Crypt logo. If you can't get enough of my soothing voice, make sure to check out I Saw in a Movie, a weekly advice podcast that goes to the cinema for the answer that I co-host with my film pal, Ryan Silberstein. This weekly podcast features a rotation of movie John pals to serve as experts to answer all of your burning questions. No question is too silly. Maybe you are wondering where to start in silent film watching, or what to do with that creepy doll that is hiding out in your attic. Ask away by contacting us on Twitter at I Saw in a Movie, email at dear I Saw in a Movie at gmail.com. Or, if you're old-fashioned, like your favorite little gravedigger, you can contact us via snail mail at attentionmoviejohn, and that is J-A-W-N, P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA, 19145. All of this information is available on our website as well, moviejohn.com, under MJ Podcasts. Can't wait to hear from you, old sport. And remember, for every question, there is a movie with the answer. A new episode is available every Monday. time to close the coffin. Here I leave you to rest with my latest epitaph, my tombstone quote, compliments of Molly Grant, the most efficient secretary in town. Try to reason about love and you will lose your reason. An old French proverb. Take it from your favorite little gravedigger, my fellow crypt dwellers. When it comes to love, you don't ask questions. Just go with it. Goodbye, film pals. How are you going to do it? Well, I suppose I'll have to get a gun from somewhere. Oh, no, Mrs. Cunningham. Bang, bang, bang all over the place. Blood everywhere. How about a little poison? Oh, that's better. That's better, Mrs. Uh... Anderson. Oh, that's better, Mrs. Anderson. But you see, Mrs. Cunningham's in a dreadful hurry. Poison could take anywhere from 10 to 12 weeks if poor Mr. Cunningham is going to die from natural causes. <laughs> you know, I read of a case once. I think it would be a wonderful idea. I can take him out in the car, and when we get to a very lonely spot, knock him on the head with a hammer, pour gasoline over him and over the car, and set the whole thing ablaze. <laughs> then have to walk all the way home. No. Oh, no, no, no. Oh. I have the best way and the best tools. Simple, silent, and quick. The silent part being the most important. Let me show you what I mean. 
You don't mind if I borrow your neck for a moment, do you? Well, if it's not for long. Oh. 